Good, good morning. Welcome. Come on in. Greetings to those who are watching online. If this is your first time with us, either in person or online, I want to greet you. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to bring the message for us this morning. We are, as Justin mentioned a moment ago, coming to the end of a series uh, in the three letters of, of John. And uh, next Sunday, as we, we do this short Life Along the Way series, we'll be in Isaiah 40. And if you find yourself weary and fatigued, I hope that message about waiting on the Lord and the strength that comes that way will be a great encouragement to you. And we hope that two years into a pandemic, this Life Along the Way series will just be just wind in your sails. Uh, and just to mention, um, after that, we're going to do a, a series in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, just to understand what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be a person? And then after that, we had a, a word earlier this morning about finding satisfaction in Jesus. The ultimate book to go to to find out about satisfaction is the book of Ecclesiastes. So we'll be in Ecclesiastes after we're in Genesis. So that's kind of where we're going. Now, um, back in November, we started this series in uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, these three letters. And it's a timely series for us because it's written to Christians who are living in uncertain times. The idea of these letters is that Christians can have confidence, even in the midst of great uncertainty. We can have confidence, first, that Christianity is true. We can also have confidence that we've been born of God belong to him and are walking in the truth. The anchor for that confidence, John tells us, is Jesus Christ. John was an eyewitness to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so first John is kind of this, it's a letter, but maybe it's more like a sermon to a group of churches. Second John is a letter to a church. This elect lady is a a different way of saying church. And then third John is a letter to a Christian. So we're kind of reducing the, the concentric rings here. And this Christian, his name is Gaius. And so it's a short letter. It's actually, this is the word by word count, the shortest uh, book of any of our books in the, in the Bible. Um, but I want to explain the situation and I'm going to try an experiment. I'm going to draw for you and to just try to, to picture for you on the screen here what is going on in this uh, short letter? Because for a short letter, there's actually a lot going on. And it, if you can get the, the idea of what's happening here, uh, I, I think it'll help you understand how to access the text. And so hopefully this will connect up here any moment and I'll be able to draw this for you. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm looking at a little spinning wheel. On the Apple TV, it hooked up just two minutes before the break ended, and now it's not doing it. Okay, and all right. Well, that was a great idea. We thought maybe that would work. We'll try it again another time. That's okay. We'll just, I'll just tell you the story. Ah, oh, there we go. I'm on. All right. Are we in? We've seen that before. Can we get, can we get to the uh, drawing screen? Okay. All right. I'll just tell the story. That's okay. So the idea here is, in the first century, 
there were kind of first century missionaries. People were out and about sharing the gospel. They were maybe planting churches. Maybe they were going church to church, sharing good news. And as they were going from place to place, they would need help and support from Christians in those places. John, the writer of the letter, the elder, who's also the apostle, John is supporting this particular group of brothers, they're called. That word brothers may mean brothers and sisters. It may, may just mean guys, not sure. But, but he's supporting these sort of first century missionaries. And in supporting them, he writes a letter to another church. And he urges that church to support these brothers. But that church has been hijacked by a guy whose name is Diotrephes. Now, Diotrephes doesn't respond to or receive John's authority or input or recommendation. And he also blocks these sort of traveling missionaries from getting to that church. The good news is in that church, there's a person named Gaius. And Gaius receives these traveling teachers. He probably welcomes them into his home. There's hospitality extended. He feeds them. They're there for probably a short period of time. And then they move on. Now, that that group of teachers, the next place they went was they went back to John. And when they got to John, they reported on their experience. So they probably filled him in on all the trouble with Diotrephes. But also this great guy, Gaius, who had received them and sent them on their way. And so that sets up the letter. Now, John is writing back to Gaius. He's probably writing back via... Uh, a a person named Demetrius who's carrying the letter. You'll hear his name at the end of the letter. And this letter, he's really doing three things. First, he's encouraging Gaius for the way he's received these missionaries and for how he's living as a disciple. He's walking in the truth. Second, he's going to exhort Gaius to uh, support these, these, these teachers the next time they come through and then send them on their way. And third, there's kind of a warning about the dangers of the kind of pride that's in Diotrephes' life and that John's going to do something about it if he's able. So with that in mind, I want you to picture, this is a, a letter to a person, picture yourself sitting down right now next to Gaius, hearing this letter coming from John. So with that in mind, let's hear the, hear the passage. It's going to be via video this morning. The third epistle of John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, 
has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dawn. We hope to see you soon, face to face, and all the others who are home because of COVID. Let's pray. Oh God, as we are addressed by you with your eternal, holy, life-giving word, I pray, I pray that this word would come with all the encouragement of Christ. Pray that the encouragement that came to Gaius through this letter would be transitioned to this congregation here today. I thank you for all the people who are here walking in the truth, and I pray they would be encouraged to keep doing the same. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this little letter is all about mission. It's kind of subtle in how it gets to it, but here we get a glimpse of the mission work that's going on in the early church, these traveling teachers and church to church, these relationships that are helping to encourage this itinerant ministry. I wonder how might the Spirit of God put this to work in our lives today? So in in working to kind of summarize this passage in a way that I I thought might might be helpful for our our congregation and and faithful to what uh, Gaius would have experienced as well, here's here's what I came up with as a sort of a main point. I started with this, whatever your situation, and Gaius was in a church that was in big trouble. It wasn't easy to be a Christian and be in the church he was in, but, but he, whatever your situation, may you be hospitable and generous to those who are sent out for the sake of Jesus' name. That's, that, that's where I started, but then I realized, you know, John is, isn't just asking Gaius to start doing something. He's encouraging him for something he's already doing. And when I think about you, there's no reason to ask you to start being hospitable and generous to those who are going out for the sake of the name because you're already doing that, like Gaius. So let's add, whatever our situation, may we continue. May there be great encouragement here this morning for all that's already going on. And may we continue to be hospitable and generous to those who are sent out for the sake of Jesus' name. So here, there's an encouragement, there's an exhortation, and there's a warning. The encouragement is the place where he begins. He identifies himself in verse 1 as the elder. And then I love, I love how he addresses Gaius, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Verse 2, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, who is this elder? Well, this is the apostle John, but we'll see from this letter, John is an elder in a church. He identifies himself as an elder, and he's, he's a participant in the life of a local church. And who's this beloved Gaius? Well, we don't know anything else about him. We know that Gaius was a common name in the first century, kind of like maybe John or Juan might be uh, today. So it's, it's probably not the same Gaius that's mentioned in uh, other places in the New Testament but we recognize that um, there's sort of a symmetry to the, the, the second letter of John and the third letter of John. The second letter of John was a letter to a church saying, you need to be unhospitable. Don't receive these false teachers. Don't welcome them into your congregation. 
The flip side, he, as he writes to Gaius, is he's saying, hey, let's be hospitable to the right people. And he's honoring Gaius because he's already doing that. And I love this prayer, this sort of wish prayer that he has for him in verse 2. If you ever find yourself praying for another Christian and you're not quite sure how to pray, here's a prayer you can always use for any believer. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So that's how he opens, seeking his physical health, his spiritual health, and prosperity in the will of God in his life. And then he transitions to verse 3, this theme of joy. Listen to what he says. Imagine this being written to you. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So this joy that John expresses relates to how the brothers have spoken about Gaius. Now, who are these brothers? Let's, let's, let's work on this for just a little bit. The Greek word here is adelphon, and that word can be a word used for literal male uh, uh, sort of brothers, either biologically or, or like in a church, or it can be a male and female group too. And so it's ambiguous. We're not quite sure. So you get the New Living Testament translating this as traveling teachers, the uh, Christian Standard Bible translating it as fellow believers. It's probably the same group of brothers that are mentioned uh, down there in the next paragraph as well. And I think the idea here is we have coming into view here this, these first century missionaries. The Great Commission is taking root in the, in the congregations. And, and these first century missionaries are, are going out as sort of these traveling teachers or traveling evangelists. And now they've gone out, they've been received by Gaius, and they've come back to John. And John says, I rejoice, beloved, when they told me that you're walking in the truth. It's a wonderful phrase, isn't it? A disciple walking in the truth. It means Gaius has done more than just make a profession of faith or show up at a meeting from time to time. It means he's actively being conformed to the image of Christ. Christ is the truth. And so to walk in the truth is to walk in Christ and to become increasingly conformed to the image of Christ in how he lives and who he loves and what he believes. And I love how John communicates to him about this. He says, I rejoiced greatly when I heard this about you. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be encouraged? Don't you love to be encouraged? Don't you love to be around encouraging people? I would love to have been able to hang around John. I love how John catches him doing something right. I love how John encourages him. In fact, as I read through the New Testament uh, year by year, I'm struck every time I get to passages like this where there are these themes of encouragement. Phrases like, I always thank God for you. I always remember you with joy in my prayers for you. And, and, and those statements, they, they just catch me and, 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 and call to me time after time, oh, that someday I could, I could be like that. Continually, the first impulse when I see and think about brothers and sisters, gratefulness, thankful prayers being offered up. And I love when John says he rejoices greatly and he has no greater joy. I love what he's joyful about. I wonder, just, to, just pause here. Just a quick survey. 
your own, the landscape of your life, what gives you joy? What gives you joy? What do you love to talk about? What do you love to tell someone about when it's happened? So many things happen in our lives that can give us joy. Vacations, and promotions. Maybe it's sports related or being popular. Maybe it's being able to buy something new or financial security. So many things going on. But John says, I have no greater joy than this, that my children are walking in the truth. John's a disciple maker. And he loves to encourage his disciples. He loves to encourage those he's able to be with as a brother in the Lord, as a fellow elder. And I wonder, as John is so encouraging, I wonder, where did he learn that? How did he become like that? I think I know. He was with Jesus. He loves because he's first been loved. He encourages because he's first been encouraged. Wouldn't have been fun to hang around John. And I love that John finds his joy in Gaius' spiritual progress. I also love that he takes the time to tell him. What a wonderful example. I don't know about you, but I find it so easy to find faults and failings. I find criticism comes much more naturally to me than encouragement. I find I can think about that in my own life, just who I am as well as with other people. But I love how the Spirit of God, conforming John into the image of Christ, is shaping him into an encourager. I wonder if there's someone you've seen walking in the truth this week. I wonder if that person might be encouraged for you to share that observation with them sometime soon. John starts with encouragement and he moves then to exhortation. Look back at your Bibles with me, please. He says in verse 5, Beloved, there's that word again, beloved. It's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Okay, what should he do? Well, here's what he should do. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they've gone out for the sake of the name. I love that phrase. They've gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers in the truth. Here is John exhorting, reminding, encouraging Gaius. Hey, you've not only supported these missionaries, you're going to have another opportunity to do that. Now, I want to talk about the opportunity that we have to support missionaries And depending on your experience, hearing that coming up in a sermon may cause some to become nervous because you may be wondering this is about to be followed by a surprise offering complete with guilt-inducing motivation to give beyond what you can really afford to do. And I want to just say, don't worry, there's no offering coming today. Actually, I can't wait to do this part of the message. This is the part I've been looking forward to most because this is the time when I get to share with you what I see of the grace of God in the way you as a congregation support people who go out for the sake of the name. You are so much like Gaius and I love 
being involved in your lives and part of this church. Now, back to the situation. Let's make sure we understand what's happening here. So here's the situation. You've got these traveling teachers. They're out going from place to place, these first century missionaries. The first time they came to Gaius, they were strangers to him. He didn't have a previous relationship with them, but he welcomed them. He extends hospitality to them. He probably invited them into his home. He probably provided meals for them. And then he seems to have sent them on their way well supplied. Of course, if you think about it, it had to be this way, right? Who else is going to support Christian missionaries? Christianity was rare. It was misunderstood. It was weird. I mean, think about it. For people who knew nothing about Christianity, and then they hear, oh, they eat and drink some dead guy's body and blood. That's weird. And you're going to invite people like that into your house and support them? No, you're not going to do that. And there aren't kind of the the hotels and motels like we have available to us today. And so these workers made their way to John and John's church after having been with Gaius. And when they get there, they boast to John about the way Gaius had received them. And, and I just want to pause here and say, Gaius' hospitality to these traveling teachers is a virtue that John is, is articulating and calling out as part of walking in the truth. I want to pause there and say that because sometimes people think of hospitality as a female virtue. It's not. It's a Christ-like virtue. Male and female alike are have the opportunity in Christ to extend hospitality. In fact, that's one of the character qualities of elders is to be hospitable. And Gaius is one of those kinds of people. So he's expressing the the hospitable heart of Christ to these people. And it seems like what's going to happen next is these, these traveling teachers, they've made their way back to John and John's church and told about what Gaius is up to there. Now they're going to head out. They're going to hit the road again. They're going to be with Gaius. And then they've got someplace new to go. And so John's saying, hey, encourage them and help them along the way. Now, first century church experience has some overlap with ours and some some differences. So who corresponds to these first century missionaries today? Well, there are certainly people today who go out for the sake of the name. Verse 7, they have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Christ. They're sent out ones for the sake of Christ. And we remember as we say that the greatest missionary of all was Christ. The son of God who crossed the greatest barrier of all coming from heaven to earth, taking on a human body, becoming no less divine. He added humanity to who he was so that he could be and become good news for us. And so people who go out for the sake of the name are going out in imitation of Jesus, the, the, the first and great missionary. So we have these people who go out for the sake of the name. And those might be people whose vocation is tied up in extending the mercy of Christ to people. Like in a hypo week kind of situation. Or people who, who are bringing the good news of the gospel locally to other people. That might be campus ministry. That might be people doing, uh, uh, te- teaching English, doing local missions and those kinds of things. There are also those who go out for the sake of the name and not just in our neighborhoods and in our area, but they go out crossing cultural barriers to live somewhere else, to bring this good news somewhere else, whether that's Tokyo or the Middle East or someplace like that. And John reminds Gaius, we, 
Not just you, Gaius. We ought to support people like these. Why? Why should we support people who go out for the sake of the name? Well, first, John reminds us, these are God's servants. They're worthy of God. They're representing Jesus Christ when they go out for the sake of his name. Second, if Christian workers, if Christians don't support workers like these, who will do it? If every Christian worker who goes out has to completely provide for themselves, it's going to be very difficult and very slow to get that kind of work done. And so support greatly enhances and accelerates the expansion of the gospel. But third, listen to the last phrase of verse 8. I love this. Listen to this and be encouraged that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Think about that. This is wonderful. You may not go to Japan. You may not go to the Middle East. But you're a fellow worker of those who do. Every member of Redeeming Grace Church is a full-fledged fellow worker in the Great Commission and with our missionaries. Your giving makes this possible. Your participation in the life of a congregation like this makes this possible. You make our mutual and unified support of our missionaries possible. Beyond that, many of you give and many give incredibly generously and sacrificially out of your personal finances. Many of you pray. Many of you stay in contact with folks that go out for the sake of the name. I was thinking we've got that missionary map out in the lobby that shows where we have people who are out on the field and it needs to be updated because there's some people that need to be added to that. But you know what I was thinking? You should have your picture on that map. Every member of the church, your picture ought to be out there because we are fellow workers with those who are out there. We do this together. And I love the way this church, you have such a heart to support mission and mission work. Chris and Karen Lanthier and their monthly missions prayer meeting. I love that there was a sort of a brief mention of the establishing of a fund for refugees not too long ago when things were happening in Afghanistan. A lot of people were coming out. There's $23,000 sitting there waiting for the right opportunity now to be extended to those, to those refugees. I love that the Sakaguchi, Seda and Emma, they are in Tokyo. They've been there eight years. They're in one of the most expensive cities in the world, and they are doing fine financially. If churches in prosperous places like this in Fairfax don't send people to expensive places like that, places like that are going to be largely left unreached. But we get to be fellow workers and you have put yourself into that work in such a wonderful way. I was talking to Satan and Emma this week, last thing I had a chance to have a Zoom conversation with them. And uh, they, they said two things they wanted to pass on to you. One is, there's so many of you that they haven't met and they look forward to meeting you. Here's the other thing. Seda said this, and he said this many times. He said, we are so deeply grateful for the unique experience of support that we're having. He said, I don't know any other missionary that experiences the kind of support that we do. He said, in fact, the support that we experience 
from our church is of such a nature that sometimes I choose not to talk about it because I don't want to tempt other people out in the field who aren't experiencing that. I want you to hear, fellow workers, well done. Hear the Spirit's encouragement in this. I have such great joy to see how you are walking in the truth, how you're sending out missionaries in a manner worthy of God, how you're supporting so many workers locally, cross-culturally, extra-locally. So may we simply continue to support those who go out for the sake of the name. May we remember those who are out there praying for them, writing to them. If you're not sure how you can be an encouragement to them, ask Edward, Edward Hunt. He would love to help you know how you can do that. I want to encourage you, when they do come back, the McKinney's and the Sakaguchi's both hope to be back sometime in 2022. What a great opportunity then to just lavish hospitality and encouragement on them. And I want to encourage you in this too. I wonder if God might sometime tap you on the shoulder and call you to go out for the sake of the name. Would you be open to that? Would you bring that to the Lord and ask him about that? What great... What a great privilege it is to be fellow workers with those who go out for the sake of the name. And then finally, there is a warning here to the mission-quenching effect of pastoral pride. This guy, Diotrephes, I have written something to the church, John writes in verse 9, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, Diotrephes likes to put himself first. He doesn't acknowledge our authority So John says, so if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes gets his name in the Bible for his pride and as a warning to not be like him. How'd you like to end up with your name in the Bible forever for that reason? He rejects the apostolic authority of an eyewitness to Christ. He slanders that apostolic eyewitness to Christ. He rejects these missionaries that have been sent out. And he tells godly church members, you are not Christians and are not part of this church anymore. And that appears to be the church that Gaius is a part of. Anyone want to come to their membership explored class being taught by Diotrephes this coming Saturday? Listen, anyone who thinks that New Testament Christianity was the good old days of Christianity, just read your New Testament a little more carefully. Things were a mess with a capital M. If you're in despair about the condition of the church today, take heart. It's always had issues. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was true in the first century and it's true today. Fear not. And the root cause of all this trouble, what is it? It's pride. Diotrephes, defined by this little phrase, he likes to be first. He loves to be in charge. Lesson number one, pride is destructive, isn't it? The very first sin, Adam, Eve, we can reject God's authority and take that authority for ourselves. That's Satan's same 
pattern of pride. The good news of the gospel is that Diotrephes, who liked to be first, was the complete opposite of the one who deserved to be first. Jesus, who humbled himself and became a servant, dying on a cross so arrogant lovers of self like me and you could be washed and made new. Let us be on guard against the dangers of pride. Second, we just make a comment about church governance. Polity is the word. Polity matters. The way churches are led matters. And plurality, a shared leadership in church leadership, is better than one guy who's in charge and can do whatever he wants. Now, of course, in the New Testament, we're in a transitional period here. There is a unique authority that apostles like John have, but that's transitioning to teams of elders in local churches. I'll tell you in my own story, as a young pastor in Pasadena and then here, I found myself in in the role of senior pastor. For me, it was a heavy load to bear. It came with many unspoken expectations, but kind of the idea that came with it was if you're the senior pastor, you're supposed to be the best at everything. The most gifted, the most mature, the best father, the best preacher, the best husband, the best evangelist, the most gifted. And I'm not that person. In fact, I only know one person who's that person. That's Jesus. The rest of us, we've got our limitations, right? It's not a healthy model. Now, it doesn't mean it's wrong to use the title senior pastor. That's a a phrase that isn't in, in the Bible, but that doesn't mean it's wrong to have somebody in some kind of a role like that. But clearly, the model that we get in Scripture is of a plurality of leaders in local churches like this one. And as we went back as a as a congregation and began to study plurality, well, we came to the to the conclusion from Scripture that Christ governs his church through elders with the congregation. There's a shared authority in a congregation like this with a team of elders and the ultimate authority resting not with those elders but with the congregation. And so it's my joy to be here this morning and say, I get to be a part of a plurality of 11 elders. We had a retreat Friday night and Uh, Yesterday, Vince led it and did a wonderful job leading us in talking about relationships and unity and humility. Hypo Week starts tonight. Edward is the elder that's on point for that. Last night, there was a memorial service right here in this room. Tom officiated there. This worship service, Justin is responsible for the oversight of the service itself. And I get to be one of the elders in this congregation. And I want to tell you from Scripture... And from experience, brothers and sisters, plurality is better. I love plurality in leadership. So we have an encouragement. Guys, you're walking in the truth. That's great. We have an exhortation. Hey, keep that mission work going. As they come to you, encourage them, send them on their way. We have a warning. Pride, especially pastoral pride, is so destructive and dangerous. And John's saying, by the way, If I can get a chance to get over and do something about it, I'm going to. So whatever your situation, may you continue redeeming Grace Church. If Gaius, in that mess of a church, could be missional, whatever your situation, may you 
continue to be hospitable and generous to those who are sent out for the sake of the name. And here's the closing. Verse 13. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. Aren't those timely words in the midst of this pandemic? The longing for in-person fellowship is nothing new. In fact, last year when we gave out the Life Together book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we quoted as as Bonhoeffer in the midst of World War II and and the build-up to that experienced his own separation from in-person fellowship. And here's what he had to say. He said, "The the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Still, it was true in the first century. It was true in the 1940s. And isn't it true today? The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy to the believer. And he goes on to say, it's by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world. And don't we know that more than we ever have before? It's only by grace that we're able to gather visibly, to gather physically And he says, not all Christians receive this blessing, do they? And those who are at home know this acutely right now. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, lonely, people proclaiming the gospel in faraway lands, they stand alone. And yet what is denied them as an actual experience, they seize upon more fervently in faith. And may God give you grace and faith when you can gather and when you can't. And may you, on your way out, Hear these words of parting. Peace be to you. The peace of Christ. May it be ours as we go into our day, into our week, in the midst of a, 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 this, this ongoing pandemic, in the midst of all that's going on in the world. Brothers and sisters, peace to you. Peace. Peace to you. Peace to you. So we come to the end of these letters and to the time of receiving the Lord's Supper. Elements are available in the back of the room down here and upstairs in the balcony if you need them. As we receive this little mini meal, this is a foretaste of a great meal we're going to share at the new heaven and the new earth, the banquet of the Lord. If you're a Christian, you don't have to be a member of our church to participate.